My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning about security. Security is a word that gets tossed around a lot these days of seemingly endless reasons to be afraid and unsettled. Security. Since the hailstorm that ravaged our house in the middle of June of this year, we're, we're in that process now of kind of putting things back together, you know. We got the roof redone, gutters, downspouts redone, waiting on the garage doors, still waiting on the windows. This last week, though, we finally got the carpeting done. The carpeting needed replaced in most of the house because it was filled with tiny shards of glass that no matter how much you vacuum, <laughs> they just keep coming up, you know? And so we needed to replace the carpet, which, by the way, is something I recommend that you do not do while you're trying to live in your house. Replace the carpet. Because what it entails is a lot of moving. Stuff from one room to another or to the garage and then back again and doing this whole round-robin thing, moving stuff around. But one thing about that is in the process of doing it, you truly discover just how much stuff you have managed to accumulate over the course of the years. Stuff that has into closets, shoved under beds, thrown into corners, stuffed onto bookshelves, you name it. And I tend to go into full-on throwaway mode in such moments, much to the chagrin of the people with whom I share my house, because I am much more likely to err on the side of throwing away than keeping, okay? But in all the moving of stuff around, and digging out stuff and finding stuff, I managed to find a couple of these. Now, do you know what this is? This is a baby blankie, right? Now, I found three of them. I found two that belong to the girls, and theirs are pretty pristine. <laughs> This one's been loved hard, and this belonged to our youngest. As you can see on the screen behind me when it was looking a little bit better than it looks today. But when you're little, this is all the stuff you need, right? This is, this is the sum and total of all the possessions that you really desire. Because there's something innate in the smallest of human beings, right? that loves to clutch something that is soft, that is familiar, that is warm, that is just theirs. And by the way, it has to be just theirs. Try throwing a fake blanket at them sometime. You know what I mean? One that's not their blanket? Good luck with that. And good luck finding a time to put it in the wash, right? It's got to be surreptitiously done like during a mealtime or something like that, and then pray to good God that it's dry by bedtime, right? But this is what you need. But soon enough, and it seems like it happens just like that, in the blink of an eye, you start looking for security in different places. This gets thrown into the back of a closet or under a bed. And pretty soon we start looking for that same sense of security and other things till eventually we're looking for it where? We're looking for it in houses, or cars, or professions and careers, or relationships. 
from the seemingly endless accounts of mass shootings all over the country to wildfires in the West to drought throughout the upper Midwest and apocalyptic flooding in southern states, these are all reminders to us of just how tenuous is our grip on security, whatever we may be gripping. Homes, possessions, things, even loved ones we find out are quickly taken away. If you learn anything by watching the news, it's that we're only one storm away from homelessness, right? We're only one market crash away from destitution. Just one pink slip away from unemployment. Just one tragedy away from grief. One breath. One heartbeat away from the grave. So then, what will we do? Hmm. It's interesting to me that in the Gospels, whenever discussions of security come up, Jesus kind of always seems to just steer the direction into an unexpected place, you know? Our tendency, when we want security, we know is to kind of circle the wagons, right? To grasp, to hang on, to store up and shore up. Jesus is constantly saying something different. He's constantly saying, let go. Let go. Your security lies somewhere other than in a stuff that will eventually be left behind. Let go. You might spend your life building, what, bigger barns or bigger bank accounts, and you might fill them up, but you don't know how long you have to enjoy them. Your life could be required of you this very night. Let go. Foxes have their holes. The birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Just let go. Unless you sell all that you have and leave everything else behind and come follow me, you cannot be my disciple, he says. Just let go. And maybe most importantly, over and above the security, we may be constantly trying to manufacture for ourselves, whether it's via bank accounts or jobs or pensions or insurance, if we're banking on the possibility that our souls are safe and sound and heaven-bound because we're really good at keeping the commandments and our accounts with God are square, if we believe that, then we ain't been paying much attention. And this might be the hardest of all of Jesus' words to swallow. But I think in it is the gospel itself, the good news. Here it is. When it comes to the debt that we owe God and the security we try to find in commending ourselves to God based on how well we perform as his servants, well, the debt is too big. The security is too elusive someone will have to let go that debt. So we come to the hardest of all the parables in the Gospel of Luke. Parable of the unjust manager. There was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his master's property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because I don't think you can be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, well, what will I do now? Now that my master's taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, too ashamed to beg. 
I've decided what to do. So that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. And so taking his manager's debtors one by one, he sat down and asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, I owe your master 100 jugs of olive oil. Sit down, quickly, take your bill, make it 50. And to another he said, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 containers of wheat. Sit down quickly, make it 80. And the rich man commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are much more shrewd in dealing with their own than are the children of light. And I tell you this, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal home. I mentioned last week in my sermon how much I appreciate the writings of Robert Capon on the parables and perhaps in no other instance am I more in debt in gratitude to him than for this one right here. Because he suggests that what if we resisted the temptation to kind of read this parable the way we so often interpret lamely so many of Jesus' parables by trying to make them into just more words about how we might perform better, how we might be more faithful if we tried harder to be nicer, and instead saw this parable for what it is the radically good news that it is. So, this morning, let's play what if, okay? What if. What if there were a creator who was totally, 100%, just and fair and righteous, and this creator gave life to a whole world full of people, and these people owe their creator a debt of gratitude, to be sure, but more than that, because their creator is just and fair and righteous, then they owed it back to be just and fair and righteous. But they weren't. And what if this humongous debt that they owed their creator just sat there on the books, a veritable flood of red ink spilling over into heaven? And so what if this creator sent an ambassador, a manager, if you will, come and instruct these people on how they might pay off their debt by being more just and fair and righteous, like their creator. But what if this ambassador, this manager, knew that he was dead on arrival because he knew that these people had about as much, in, much interest in being just and fair as righteous as they had in caring for the poor in their midst or the suffering thronged all around them? So, what if this manager, knowing that collecting from these deadbeats was kind of a lost cause, decided to just go around and start canceling debts. And what if the criminals who previously thought themselves so far beyond the good graces of their creator that they could never hope to approach him again? What if now having their debt canceled, they began to see themselves as brought back, as restored? Maybe sinners and crooks and deadbeats would actually dare to deal with a manager who looks just like them, cooking the books, doing away with proper accounting procedure, and maybe, just maybe, they would even dare to welcome him into their homes and into their hearts. Maybe the Creator who is righteous and just and fair would be compelled to just sit back and laugh and say, good thinking. 
If you can't beat them, forgive them. You know, I've come to love this parable more through the years because I think it really does say in story form what Jesus says by his whole life. He wasn't thought of as respectable, right? In his, the estimation of the religious leadership of his day, he was downright shady. He didn't keep the Sabbath the way they thought he ought to. He hung out with whom they thought were the wrong people. He even died with the wrong people, huh? criminals on his left and right. And now at last, in light of this parable, maybe, maybe we get a clue as to why he refused to be respectable. Maybe he did it to finally gather in a world that respectability, righteousness, and justice could only terrify and condemn. As the Apostle Paul would later write, he became sin for us sinners, weak for us weaklings, lost for the losers and dead for all those who are dead in their self-centeredness. Just like the debtors in Jesus' story, we're only willing to deal with a crooked manager and not with the righteous Lord. So we too find ourselves drawn to Jesus. It kind of does away with all that bookkeeping nonsense and makes friends of sinners and all of the losers who would never in a million years go near a God who was simply righteous and just and fair. Lucky for us, we don't have to deal with a righteous, fair, and just manager. Jesus is the one who deals with us in mercy, and he lets it go. Thanks be to God.